when I was a younger man, not too much younger, uh, one of my favorite things to do was to pull an RV camper. For those of you that have ever uh, experienced the joys of RV life, you know that it is uh, it can be quite challenging in many ways and quite satisfactory in many ways. It, it has all kinds of advantages, but when you're camper is 33 feet long, your truck is 15 feet long, you carry a 16 and a half foot canoe on top of it, packed full with children and all the other accoutrements that you need to spend 14 days at a beach camping spot in the middle of nowhere, Florida. Uh, That's a lot of weight to pull. It's the equivalent of the length of a tractor trailer. Now, I got quite good at driving with that thing behind me. Um, I backed that camper into places I, I just should not have been through, <laughs> throughout the years. Um, I, I had one that was a little shorter, but if any of you have ever been to uh, the Upper Chattahoochee Campground north of Helen, for those of you that don't know where that might be, when you go out of Helen and you turn left on uh, Alternate 75, uh, there's a little Methodist church called Chattahoochee Methodist Church. You turn right, right there, and there's a dirt road that goes to the top of the mountain, and there's a tent campground up there. (laughs) I pulled a camper up there one time, (laughs) so I got quite good at it. Um, Well, I was heading to St. Joe, Florida, a beautiful place, Cape Fan Blast. There's a a wonderful campground that is at the end of that peninsula, nine miles of unspoiled beach and and wrapped around the bayside. And, and the campground sat right there. It was rel- it was close to primitive. We had, you had water and electricity. You could hook up to your camper, but it was right on the beach. Incredible place. To get there, we would cut through a little town called Mariana, Florida, and then we would take the back roads to get to St. Joe, Florida. Um, and you know how Florida panhandle roads are. They're very long and flat and narrow. Um, so occasionally I might hit 70 miles an hour, <laughs> pulling that camper. But it drove really well. It was almost like having a stabilizer on the back of your vehicle. You just knew, needed to know how to drive. The thing is about large vehicles like that, when you're pulling a camper, if another large vehicle comes up beside you, you feel a bow wave, kind of like a bow wave coming off a, a ship. And the low pressure and the high pressure start to work, and it'll shake your trailer, and, and grab a hold of, of your vehicle as well, which is fine and dandy when you're on a, on a highway pulling like that. It's okay. Um, but when you're on a narrow back road, that's not okay. So here I am cruising along that back road, just thinking about the beach and what a good time we're going to have. And a guy in a very large truck hauling a horse trailer or something, I'm not really sure, decided he was going to pass me. Now, granted, I was probably running 65 to 70 miles an hour. I was already going within the limits before the state patrol gets you. And and he comes flying up beside me with enough speed that he can get ahead of me really quick. So let's assume 85 or 90 miles an hour, hauling his own trailer, 
in a large truck. Remember the little bit of education about bow waves and how they work? They just don't happen in the water. They happen in the air too. And he shook my RV and my truck violently on that narrow road, and it took everything I had to hold that vehicle in the right place so I didn't wreck and injure myself and my family and destroy my beloved RV at the same time. <laughs> but So what does any good preacher do? He sticks his arm out the window, <laughs> shakes his fist, and at the top of my lungs I called him a biblical name for a donkey. <laughs> Some of you will get that on the way home. It's okay. Um, you'll laugh then. No big deal at the moment. I was furious. I mean, I was really upset. Um, I, I can get mad, <laughs> but when you threaten the well-being of my family, especially after all the things my family has been through, and that's for another story, I get really upset. So, a couple of months later, school started back. Uh, my oldest son, who is now 17, um, was in the first grade, and I get a call. Davis is in trouble. Okay. Now, I'm going to get it for this when I get in the car. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, all preachers get critiqued when they get in the car from their entire family. They've heard this story a million times, and they're going to say, this isn't the only time you've done that, Dad, so just be aware. Well, anyways, I get a call from the school. Davis is in trouble. My wife was a teacher at that school. But I, it was said that I was going to handle it. Davis has gotten in trouble for teaching a kid the biblical word for a donkey. I was the senior associate at the largest church in town. I put together the largest PTA meeting in the history of the state of Georgia in conjunction with that church. You see, what had happened was Davis was sitting at uh, the, uh, the cafeteria table and leaned over to one of his friends and said, I know how to spell the biblical name for a donkey. And he proceeded to do so on a napkin from the paper because the other child was curious. They didn't really know what was going on. They didn't have a clue. They're, they're first graders, and their minds just don't function in that way. And I had to go down there as one of the main pastors in the community. Now, I'm a little rough around the edges anyways. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's who I am. But I had to really eat crow that day. Not because my son had done that. All our kids do things that we have to discipline them for. Sometimes they're minor things. Sometimes they're really major things. But most of the time, 
they learned their behavior from us. From us. From the adults. Now, granted, there's some other kids learn things from other kids, but but like James Baldwin said, that that kids um, will always ignore their elders, but they will never fail to imitate them. And so my son did. You see, there's a lot of things that I'm intentional about that are disguised in unintentionality. There are things that I do that I can say were unintentional, but they were really intentional in my behavior. And sometimes they aren't so good. Sometimes they can be quite bad. Sometimes they can be rough. Sometimes they can be phenomenally great. Uh, there are times that I've done things that I'm high, greatly proud of that my kids have witnessed me doing or other people have, even though I was trying to keep it a secret. And they learned from that, but I was intentional about it. But unfortunately, sometimes we aren't intentional enough about the most important thing that we are to teach others around us, especially our families. And that is our faith our Christian walk, our belief in the love of God, uh, the things that, that should power us beyond all power. But we might be intentional about other things, uh, uh, more intentional, uh, about fixing a car or, or being intentional about going fishing or the list can go on and on. But we fail at the most important thing of all. Our faith. I spent the last 17 years as an active Methodist preacher. I'm currently on uh, medical leave. And before that, I spent three years in seminary at, at a church. And then um, before that, I spent most of my time growing up at Snellville United Methodist Church. Um, so I've been in the church my entire life. And I've seen a lot of different examples of the way churches function and the way they work. I've served some really rough ones, and I've served some really great ones. And no matter the, what their size was, you could tell how vibrant they were going to be by how intentional they were about teaching others about the love of God. You could see it in what they were doing on a regular basis and their participation in what they were planning to do. Some of those churches would, would plan all kinds of great things and then nobody would show up. Some of those churches would plan all kinds of great things and nobody would show up from the church. Some of those churches would not plan anything at all or ever have anything planned, but the moment a need arose, everybody show up. And then there were those churches that had a really good balance of things to do and responding to need. And the development of the faith of those particular churches was incredible. 
whether it was a 2,500-member church or a little 50-member church in the middle of nowhere, Wilkes County, Georgia. Their size didn't really make a difference because I've seen churches that are so shallow that they are like vast, shallow salt basins deep with no outlets. And, and the mineralization occurs because there's no outlet for, for what comes in and they become crystallized in their own manner. I've seen some churches and experienced some churches that, that aren't very deep or aren't very big, but man, they're well run churches. Very deep. And then there are others who are both deep and wide. You remember that old Bible school song? I don't know if they sing it anymore. Deep and wide, deep and wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. You know, that was intentional back when I was in Bible school. It is something that's still in my head that I, I remember. Just a short little jingle that reminds me that my faith is not to be shallow and spread out. It's not to be narrow and deep. But to have the, the content of both deep thought and faith and a wide, wide reach. So how do you get there? That's the big question. How do you get there? One of the scriptures that continuously replays in my mind, I'm sure all of you have those scriptures that stick in your mind over and over, the favorite ones that you lean to, but because I have children, this one often comes to my mind, and because I've served churches that did want to serve children, this one also often comes to my mind. But it also is very applicable to uh, the adults that are mentioned in this scripture. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. You'll see verses 4 through 9 on the screen behind us, I believe. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God and your son and your son's son by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Pray with me, please. Most holy and gracious God, fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit that the words of my mouth may not be the ramblings of a mortal man, 
but my carrier ring of eternity and be in the minds and the hearts of this congregation as we meditate upon your word. In Christ's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. When you read the scripture, you are getting a glimpse of the way that Hebrews and Jews taught their children and those around them their faith. So much that it was ingrained in a commandment that they are to literally walk that faith out every day of their lives. It was the primary example that they were going to give. So they, um, to some extent, took it to a little bit of extremes. They would wear things on their foreheads, a little box that, that had the commandments in it called a phylactery. So if you ever see an Orthodox Jew in the synagogue, they'll have a headband on with a box on it. Um, they would put boxes uh, next to their doorposts called mezuzahs uh, that, again, had the commandments in it, so they would see it every time they walk in the door. We have trinkets like that in our house as well, and, and I keep things in my office. You, you have things that remind you of your faith sitting around, but, but really more of the important part of that, beyond just the study aspect, was how they gave an example. Talk to your children. Talk to others. When you sit in your house, sit around. Tell me the stories of Jesus I love to hear. Or, um, you know, you, you think about those old songs and the hymns, and then the ones that we sing today, Walk by Faith. 10,000 Reasons. You know, that's scripture. The Revelation song. Um, how do we communicate all the time to others our faith? Oh, and, and when you walk by your way, when you're living out that example, uh, so much that, that your faith has been ingrained in your life that you think about it when you lie down and when you get up. There is a very real intentionality about growing your faith in this scripture. So much that when Jesus again referenced this scripture, it was as the greatest commandment, as the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, on that, all other laws hinge on that one right there. All other example of your faith will come out of that if you truly love God first. So how do you grow that? Study and service. Study and service. There's some folks who are really good at serving, and that's their thing. There's some people that are going to really study, and that's their thing. But you got to both grow and serve. Learn and serve. Apply. Learn it and apply it. Work it out. Learn about your faith and then go, um, go do something about it somewhere. There are very frustrating moments in a pastor's life, and one of them is when you prepare a Bible study and nobody shows up. 
Have you ever led a Bible study and done that and had nobody show up? There are glorious moments in a pastor's or a, a facilitator's life when, when you put a lot of effort into a, a study group and lots of people show up and then people come in and say, I learned something. So when I stood at the end of the handshaking line after the end of church, or when church service was over, and people would say, you know, that was a great sermon. That was a great sermon. I'd say, yeah, but did you learn anything? I don't care whether I was passionate in my, in my delivery or whether there was an impression with, a, with the oratory. I didn't care about that. Did I communicate something to learn? Did you learn something? And then did you go home and apply it and, and study uh, yourself? And then there was those great moments of learning in the act of service as well. How do you serve? What do you do in order to grow your faith? Mission trips are a wonderful opportunity for that. You, you get to go experience uh, other cultures, uh, other places, see how uh, other people uh, need to hear the word of God, or, or sometimes you don't encounter anybody, you're just cleaning up the side of the road and people see you. What do you do to be intentional about those things? 2 Timothy 3.16-17 through 17 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now that's a wonderful thing. It really is. All scripture has some pertinent lesson to it that, that you can bring to change your life. But one of the traps you've got to be careful of when, when you're studying is that you're not just studying to know stuff. You're not just studying to know stuff. Because we should be coming to scripture to be changed not to amass information. We come to Scripture to be changed, not to amass information, to, um, to impress people with our Bible knowledge. I'm going to have to admit, there's things that I've forgotten about in the Bible. It's a, it's a thick book. There was a time in my life when I could um, tell you every just about everything, every detail about every book in this Bible. I can no longer do that. There are times I forget the Lord's Prayer. Um, I, have to, I got to the point where I had to write it down so I could see it so I wouldn't say something out of order. It kind of happens when you have to start wearing your lungs on your back. Or you get distracted. You just put it there. But it's really bad when I forget how those things changed my life my behavior is not reflected. And then there are those service groups that really come to change your life as well. I, I think about the ones that made a huge difference in my life, Appalachian Service Project, um, a smaller uh, food pantry uh, groups that I, that I may have worked with, um, working with the addicts up at, at Victory Home, things like that, and then even different types of quiet service groups where people aren't really in a destitute sort of situation, but they just simply needed help. They needed the comfort and, 
and the service of, of a of Christian company. And there was service there. And then there is the type of service that occurs that grows your faith where you have to be intentional. The stuff that goes beyond uh, be behind the scenes. I heard Mike last week talk about the need for cleaning up the sanctuary. Things that people don't see. They may see the fruit of it, but they didn't see you do it. And you learn there that, you know, you don't always have to have the pat on the back. Think about those memorable study and service groups that changed your lives. And then start thinking about how you can apply them to the rest of your life. So, faith without works. James says uh, in chapter 2, 14 through 18, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a person claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, and I wish you well, keep warm and fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. You have to be intentional. The congregation has to be intentional about developing their faith. I served a circuit one time. I, I don't, for those of you that may not know what that means, it's not an electrical board back there that connects some uh, different wires in a facility. A circuit in, in the Methodist sense is, is when three or four churches don't have enough money to have an elder um, on their own come and, and be part of their congregation. So I had four churches. And one of, that was an interesting thing because it was a microcosm in, in the study of how uh, church dynamics work. And you could see the churches, even though they were in a very rural area, uh, at that point in time when I was there, there were um, all the churches in Georgia, or not all the churches, all the counties in Georgia were growing except for two, and I was in one of those counties. So the odds of the church actually growing numerically was very slim. People were moving out of that community. But there were some churches that were still very intentional about trying to develop their faith. Um, and it's crazy that these questions would even have to be asked. Uh, they would say, would you be willing to do a Bible study on Wednesday night? Because our last preacher wouldn't do that. Um, would you be willing to maybe teach a Sunday school class or, or put notes up about your sermon? Because it was crazy that those questions could even be, would even need to be asked of a pastor. But they would ask that. The, you could tell the churches that were really hungry to grow in their faith would ask that question. The others, oh, they didn't care. Just as long as you showed up on Sunday morning and, um, and participated. The biggest debate that I had during those two years on that circuit was that I was willing to do a service every Sunday at one of the churches. You see, there was preaching only once a month. 
that was preaching only once a month at each one of the churches. One of the churches was willing to move their service back to 9 a.m. so that they could have an every Sunday service, and then I would go preach twice a month at the others that were active. The other churches fought having a service twice a month. They'd only got preaching once a month. But the one church that wanted to grow, wanted to be intentional, was going to make it. Hmm. What are you intentional about in growing your faith? The thing is, we do learn in different ways, and it's kind of hard, and, and you've got to get this in your mind. You can't push your learning style onto other people. Um, the ways we learn are different. Some people learn better by hearing um, auditory learners, by the lecture, by the spoken word, by preaching. Other people learn better by uh, visual learning, by seeing. Um, my undergraduate degree, honestly, I learned more from watching the Discovery Channel than I did from that because, well, I just learned better visually. And then there's tactile learning where you got to get out and, and touch stuff. There are diesel mechanics that can't write an essay to save their lives, but they can tell you all the dynamics of a combustion engine because they, they put their hands on it and they can command a great prices for their services because they're tactile learners, not audio or or visual, and then there's kinetic. Those are those learners that have to be moving and doing. You know, the person that sits there in class and always wiggles and and can't sit still, and that's what I love about the kids dancing up here during the service. Some people just got to move when they're learning, so they learn in different ways. Think about the way we put together a service. They encompass almost every bit of those learning styles, so there are some aspects in every worship service that we do, particularly in the Methodist church, that employs different learning styles. You've heard, you've seen, you've moved up and down with the, with the services, you, you've, you've hugged each other, you've learned. Um, so when you're intentional about your faith development, you also find out ways that you can learn and apply that to others. So the, the initial stages of being intentional in your faith development is this. Know yourself first. Some hard questions. As an individual, are you actually being intentional about your faith and your study? There have been times in my ministry I have not been intentional about my personal faith. Oh, I study the Bible all week long for a sermon, for lessons. I have amassed knowledge great amounts of knowledge. But it was to communicate it to somebody else, not for my own personal development. And that made me very shallow and crystallized, automaton. And then you apply it next to those people closest to you, your family children, your spouse, your parents. And then you can move out into the greater area, your congregation, 
How are you intentional about developing your faith within this main group? And then into the community. We complain as a, in general as a church and as a, a nation about what people don't know because they haven't been given the opportunity and their learning styles may have changed than from when we were children or young adults or from when we first came into, uh, into the church. We have to be intentional. One of the sternest verses in the Bible comes from Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And, and what happens there is, is um, directly before Judges 2.10 is a discourse on, on Joshua and all of, his, um, all of his folks, all of his leaders. And it gave this glowing report about how Joshua went in and, and saved the Hebrews and, and here they were in the land of Canaan and, and then they all were gathered up to their fathers, it says, so they died. And then the next verse says, and there arose a generation that did not know the Lord. And they didn't know how to behave. Now, how could that happen with such a great group of leaders like Joshua and his folks? They were incredible. What happened there? That's a mystery uh, only left to, uh, to the annals of, of biblical history, but that can very well apply to us. Who have you taught about your faith? How well did you did it, do it? Maybe they ignored you because you didn't, didn't communicate well or in their language or, or how um, in a loving manner. Maybe you're stern. I don't know. But the reality is you've got to be intentional about being intentional in all the various ways that people can learn. This book that we're studying as a congregation came out about 10 years ago. I guess I have preached a similar sermon on this topic and taught lessons on this topic from this book at least 10 to 20 times over the last decade. Each time has been at a different stage my life. Right now I'm in a very unique stage of life. I have to wear my lungs on my back. Um, having spent a long time teaching other people about faith in Christ, the last year I've really had to examine how I've done that. I've got just about anything and everything a person could desire. I've finally gotten a church with a housing allowance <laughs> so I could have my own house and not have to live in a parsonage. It's a great house. I've got a, a beautiful family. I've got all the toys that I need, some I can no longer use. I've had an adventurous life. But I also had a real brush with death. 
And when you have that happen, you look at all the stuff that's around you. Your beautiful home. The boats in the backyard. Your land. Your clothing. And then you look at your family. And every father wants to leave an inheritance, a material inheritance for their family so they can be taken care of. But you learn that is not the sad fact at all. It's what you teach your family about your faith and how intentional you've been with that those of us who have found ourselves in Christian leadership positions, whether you are clergy or laity, we often find ourselves teaching others more than we teach our own family. And they may get the brunt of it. And you learn about how valuable it is to leave that inheritance, that legacy to your kids, to your spouse, and to those who watch your family very closely, that they might have a faith that can stand the storms that are going to come at them, because they are going to come. A faith that can, that can withstand success, because they will have successes. And there are times that I have failed horribly at that. Where I've stood in a pulpit on Sunday morning and lost my cool on Sunday afternoon. Have you been there? I'm not talking about before you go to church and you're having a fight with your kids, you get them in the door and stuff. Everybody got to go through that. <laughs> That's a different stage. I mean, after it's over. We have to be intentional. I was not intentional in those moments. I was not intentional about teaching them the depth of the Bible, what that means, how it applies to your life, because then you can't take it out to a congregation, you can't take it out into the community, and your family needs that initial bond, that initial strength of development, of seeing that example of faith in your life so that, that when those storms come, they can withstand it. And that will be the greatest treasure, the greatest inheritance that any parent can ever leave, that any pastor can ever leave, that any Christian leader can ever any leave, that any Christian who just desires sometimes just to sit in the pews can lead for their family. You see, the opposite of faith development is not heresy. It is not going out there and spreading false doctrine. It's indifference. It's indifference. Because nobody in here is a heretic. Nobody in the churches I've been in has been a heretic. But there have been some that have just been indifferent. No development of the faith, no desire to grow, no, no desire to build that. But the ones who came across and, and really were intentional about their faith development, it was incredible the impact on the family, on the individual on the community, and on that congregation. And they were no longer just 
focused on being a congregation, but they became a movement of the Holy Spirit. You see, intentional faith development prepares you to face the challenges of life before they happen. It prepares you, and it prepares you to live out life in the Spirit. You see, your faith, your faith is like electricity. You may not see it, but you can see the light. Your faith is like electricity. You may not see it, but you can see the light.